I am here with Jim Cutler and Paul Ferber. This is a special episode of the Sean Morgan Report. And uh, we were talking before the recording about how just unbelievable and how fast uh, the deep state has switched gears from being totally invested in masks forever, booster shots forever, mandates, authoritarianism, uh, and so forth, vax passport agenda. And then overnight, just with the one stroke of a pen, you know, saying no mask required for the State of the Union address, so not signaling anymore on television that this is a thing. Uh, all of the uh, protests in Canada went from the truckers to now there are protests in support of Ukraine. Uh, there is a full uniparty support for Ukraine. It's, it's all the rhinos, all the Republicans, all of the Democrats, all the leadership from both sides, totally on board with this. Um, not to mention all the deep state assets from Hollywood to Marina Abramovic. <laughs> Everyone's coming out of the woodwork uh, to support uh, this, this such an easy thing to see through. Uh, although not not easy for Americans who have had such a uh, foundation of anti-Russian propaganda against them for decades. Uh, but there are literal Nazis in Ukraine, and uh, and yet somehow the left has aligned themselves with all the things they're supposedly against, like Nazism and, and automatic weapons and defending yourself and nationalism and all this stuff. So... Um, Jim, I guess we'll start with you. Uh, what are your thoughts about how they've switched gears so fast? Well, I mean, number one, that tells me, and I think it's quite blatant when you listen to a sort of a broader range of pundits um, on the web, that uh, they do not control the narrative anymore. I mean, really, um, this eliminates Fauci. I would be surprised if Fauci makes another appearance because everything that he was about just got pulled. And for him to try to come back and make sense of anything he's ever said in the face of what just happened, particularly at the State of the Union, I don't see it happening. So they have essentially sacrificed that whole entire narrative for Ukraine. And then you look at Ukraine and you, you think, you did it for that? I mean, it, it's, it's the most unbelievable, um, distorted, uh, confused game plan I have ever seen on a screen. And that includes a Hollywood movie. It's Speaking really jaw-dropping. Uh, Sean, Sean Penn is on the ground in Ukraine shooting a Hollywood-style movie uh, as we speak. Uh, and the president of Ukraine is an actor, literally. And, yes. uh, you know, that can't be ignored. The fact that this is a massive psyop, uh, that almost everything you see is fake. The ghost of Kiev, the Batman of Kiev, the, the Avengers, the, 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 the just weird, uh, Hollywoodification of the propaganda, uh, all the lies, all of the misrepresentations, all of the like just as just a little tiny example, I could give a million examples, but Zelensky has footage of him on the front lines, you know, wearing military garb and stuff. It's from years ago, uh, but they're just running it now, just like like it as if it's happening right now when it's not. 
And there, there are lots of other examples of that where they're just running with footage that's totally old uh, or, or, you know, like the, the, main, the main image that they had of a blonde elderly woman with the head bandage and everything, that main image that they put on every European newspaper was from a 2018 uh, gas leak accident. So, I mean, this is all right in your face, uh, but they're so committed to this narrative. Paul, what are your thoughts? I think we have to go back actually to 1990 and the end of the Cold War. I think you guys can hear me, right? Yep. Oh, yeah, oh, I, I got to sign up for one second. Sorry, my my microphone was playing silly buggers. Let me. I, I I think we have to go back to 1990 and the end of the Cold War. George Bush Senior makes a number of speeches where he mentions the New World Order. And I think that's significant because it tells me that, you know, the Anglo-Zionist elites who run the world were already, already had Russia in their sights. I mean, from 1990 to 1999, basically the West looted Russia. And Putin has been gradually restoring the country's pride and its economy and its defenses. Now, Ukraine itself goes back to, well, the immediate, the immediate problems go back to 2014 when there was a coup d'etat in Ukraine sponsored by George Soros and the West and all the usual suspects from the deep state. Um, basically, NATO's strategy, despite all the treaties in place that, you know, not one inch further eastward, um, NATO has been willfully violating that in, in Eastern Europe for the last 30 years. You know, it just NATO just bombed Belgrade um, in Yugoslavia for no reason. Does that, you know, violating international law? NATO had NATO destroyed Libya um, and overthrew uh, Muammar Gaddafi, despite the, him not being a threat. NATO is and the West are just bully boys. You know, they don't negotiate in good faith. They ignore the wordings of treaties when it suits them. And I read uh, Putin's speech from February the 24th in full, and it's a very sober, rational analysis of how the West just does whatever it wants um, to get whatever it wants. Um, right now, the West is absolutely winning the information war. Um, I, I, let me just define that a bit. I, I think what we've seen in the last sort of 10 years is that the nature of war is 80% information, 15% um, economic, and only 5% kinetic. Now, the the information and propaganda war, yeah, you know, the, the US and, and Europe has given Russia a bloody nose. They, they're pulling .ru domains. People are throwing away Russian vodka. They're kicking out individual Russian citizens who just happen to be Russian, that's all. Uh, it's pathetic. But Russia, funnily enough, is not even bothering to respond to any of this, which tells me probably that they're just past caring what um, the Western media is saying. They're I, I think it's that they have a long game, you know, here. You know, when, when you try to kick Russia out of SWIFT, they're like, fine, mm. we, we have a contingency <laughs> yeah. plan for yeah. that. You know, you want to throw away Russian vodka. That's fine. We're insulating our economy to thrive, you know, mm. with our with our non-Western allies, you know, the, with China and, and with the other 
you know, it's 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 actually about half and half. If you look at uh, who's allied with uh, Russia and China around the world and who's allied with the West, it's it's about half and half. And so you see big countries like Mexico saying, you know what, I, I'm with Russia and China. So this is a big division mm. that's happening right now where countries around the world are making a choice. It is. Uh, and and yeah, the, NATO has basically for, forced Russia to play her hand. They, you know, they pushed and they pushed and they pushed and they provoked for years to get Russia into a war. And now they finally have forced Russia to play her hand. But, you know, Russia, Russia doesn't mess around. It's taking, it's, you know, it is, I believe that from my information, which is pretty good from intel sources, that within 24 hours, the Ukrainian Air Force had ceased to exist and so did the Ukrainian Navy. So all that's left is, um, you know, the poor bloody infantry on the ground. And we're looking at a sort of 200,000 troops on each side, roughly over a 3,000 mile front, which is big. Um, but the Russians are experts at liberating their own towns from Nazis, if I could put it that way. They've had plenty of practice over the years. So they are being extremely cautious and extremely slow. And they're not doing a they're not going to do it make the same mistake they made in Grozny, where they went, they charged in and got themselves cut off and, and massacred by the Chechens. Um, they are very cautious, very slow. They're surrounding cities, they're leaving humanitarian corridors open, and they are not doing hand-to-hand fighting in cities. So militarily, and, and despite this caution, they've taken an extraordinary amount of territory. Um, I believe yeah. that you mentioned like genuine Nazis. Yeah, there's a whole battalion in the Ukrainian army um, that are genuine Nazis. It, it, to oversimplify a bit, Ukraine, the West, the Western, Eastern Ukrainians speak Ukrainian, and they are the Nazis. The Eastern Ukrainians are actually Russians, and they speak Russian. And this is, you know, this has been the West strategy for 30 years now. It's to infiltrate the the Russia the former Russian territory the former Soviet Union territories the buffer states and install you know puppets pour in billions of dollars in weapons and drugs and immigrants and so I don't know if you saw that story of some Moroccan guy in Ukraine uh, tried to hijack a train with a knife because he wanted to get out and I thought you know what is a Moroccan doing in Ukraine oh uh, yeah of course Soros you know, it's the old, it's the old uh, New World Order playbook. You know, you flood the country with immigrants, um, and it just destabilizes it. So, yeah, yeah but I, I don't, I don't think they've done that good of a job because uh, it's been a failed state for so long. People in, in dire poverty, people had already been leaving Ukraine in droves to Poland and uh, other bordering countries and so forth because it's just hard to survive there. Uh, it's mm-hmm. such a failed state. Uh, but let's talk real quick about, this is just, uh, this is comedy, uh, how the West has been saying that Russia's doing so badly militarily. Like, like I, can't, I can't understand how they can be so bold-faced with their lying about uh, just the reality. For example, the Ukrainian government has an official Twitter channel, and they put out that there's this guy leaping from rooftops in Kiev, and he's killed at least 100 Russians in hand-to-hand combat. And like, like it's just 
so over the top. This is like Baghdad uh, Bob or whatever his name was back in the Iraqi war when, when they were like the tanks were like running down the walls he was standing in and he's like, we're winning, <laughs> you know, that's what it's like when they describe. So the, uh, the Russian government had to put out an official statement about how many Russians were actually killed. It was only 500 of them. And I say only 500 because when you, according to the Ukrainian government, I mean, the Batman of Kiev killed a hundred himself by leaping around on rooftops. So 500 uh, fallen Russian troops is, is not a lot compared to the propaganda that, that's been put out here. And uh, like you said, Paul, to have within 24 hours, they knocked out the Air Force and the Navy. Uh, the fact that they've taken a huge amount of territory within days, the fact yeah. that they're pretty much ready to take over the capital, which means they pretty much control the whole country. Uh, I would say it's a flying success for, for Putin and, and Russia militarily. And yet everything you hear is just lie after lie about how horrible uh, Putin's military is, is suffering and so many setbacks and so many things going wrong. And, and like all of the propaganda is so fake. They've got uh, pictures of Ukrainian military, uh, and then they just say that it's Russian military that's killing Ukrainians when it's Ukrainian military killing Ukrainians. Uh, like examples like that, over and over and over again. Uh, Jim, any any response on the the propaganda? Well, I mean, to me, um, I want to go back to uh, 2014 when Maiden happened. I can't imagine for one second, and I know from my own observations of um, a Lavrov and, and the goings on at that time, that they were not gonna let that stand. The question was how? And so everything I see Putin doing, I, I, I feel like I'm looking at Trump in terms of optics, playbook, um, you know, sidebar operations that are not in the limelight yet force the opposition into the limelight. So they knew, of course, they had to know that the West is going to want to foment this into a, an, a real war so they can really focus all of their attention of the American people on Ukraine because they're slaughtering everybody. So they know, and, I, and as Paul says, they went in and immediately decapitated their military. On top of that, one of the first actions that Putin took was to um, use um, cruise <laughs> missiles to take out the biolabs. Okay, now you've done, you've taken out, you've done an action that really hasn't touched the uh, the government of of Kiev, hasn't touched civilians, but it's taken out all this bioweapon infrastructure. Now you know the the West is not going to want to talk about that, but that's the only. Thing that there is to talk about. There's no fighting going on. When I heard the number of 500 killed on the side of Russia, I thought that number was too high because that's <laughs> not how the operation, in my opinion, was playing out. They want to go in there, take out infrastructure. Notice it take, took over um, Chernobyl immediately, immediately, because they want to take that off the table because that's a potential chaotic uh, source and they wanted to take that over as, as quickly as possible. So they leave the West with nothing to show anybody that 
there's fighting and people are dying and it's horrific. So they have to make this stuff up because they don't have the time to wait. They have to push this stuff out immediately. So that's what they did. And then uh, that puts the narrative completely in the control of Putin and Trump, for that matter. Notice the rhetoric of Trump throughout all this. He goes right up to the line and says, yeah, I think Putin is doing the right thing and he's doing it. Actually, I believe uh, Trump said he was doing it brilliantly. And they tried to yeah, take him down Yeah, he said something like that. it was genius or savvy or something like that. Right. He's not, you know, Trump's playing the optics really well here because he knows that the Republicans, a lot of them are brainwashed to hate Russia. So he just keeps repeating the same talking point over yes. and over again, which is this never would have happened if I was president. He's not right. focusing on Russia good, Russia bad. Um, but I want to comment on what you said, Jim, because you said they're trying to bait Putin into a full-blown war. I want to give some examples of that. They, uh, the Ukrainian government is welcoming foreigners, just random people, to come into the country to hand them weapons. They're handing out automatic weapons to civilians en masse. They're, they're trying to uh, solicit dark funds, you know, crypto funds. Uh, they're just trying to get millions. And you even have the guy who invented uh, the altcoin polka dot. He donated five, $5 million of cryptocurrency to the Ukrainian government. So there, this is just like Hunter Biden, uh, you know, money laundering, Clinton money laundering just goes on and on and on to Ukraine forever. It's like the same model yep. being played out. Uh, but you've got all of these bordering countries that are trying to be a part of the EU and NATO now filling out their applications. Um, so, so this is really, really ramping up fast. Well, um, I've got Zelensky um, saying he wants to be part of the EU and NATO now. Uh, so, so that's that's like Putin has the real control that really matters, which is the military. <laughs> like Paul said that, like the military is five percent, and I get what you were saying with that, Paul. Uh, but you know. If Putin can get control of Kiev and can install a new leader there, uh, that changes the whole table, doesn't it, Paul? Yeah. yeah. What I meant was um, the war that the Anglo-Zionists have been waging on the world uh, is 80% informational, 15% economic, 5% kinetic. You know, that's, that's the war that's been waged against ordinary people for the last 30 years. You know, since since the end of the Cold War, um, it's the war we're currently in, where we have a small, uh, you know, cadre of elites versus ordinary uh, Joe Schmoes like you and me. I think yes, Putin in, in, in Putin is not a fool, and he knows how to wage war properly um, in territory that once used to belong to his country, uh, and he's done it. He's done it extremely well and extremely carefully. Uh, you mentioned the money laundering and the you know the the deep state. The reason for this utter panic in the West, you know, putting out a game flight simulated footage, a supposed footage of uh, <laughs> the ghost of Kiev. I mean, I, I looked at this. I thought, wait, this is DCS, isn't it? You know, this is a flight sim. <laughs> yeah, 
Um, the reason for that a panic response is they have to get the message out that, you know, Russia bad, US good, because all the usual suspects in the US are up to their necks in Ukraine. You remember those photos of Senator Barack Obama wandering around a chemical weapons factory in Ukraine, I think it was 2005, with a US senator. Um, we have Pelosi's son, Biden's son, Kerry's son, are all on the board of directors of energy companies in Ukraine. They're, they're, there's money laundering. There's videos, of, videos of Lindsey Graham uh, with yeah. John McCain. John McCain. Over there. And Lindsey, Lindsey Graham's putting out, uh, trying to call on people mm. to assassinate Putin today. Yeah. Yeah. What, 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 ha- I mean, the basic model works like this is the US puts billions, and I mean, literally billions of dollars worth of weaponry into uh, um, former Soviet Union states like Kazakhstan, Belarus, Ukraine. Um, and then their puppets then give them kickbacks. So your tax dollars are paying for the weapons that go to these states, particularly Ukraine. And then they, of course, get you know huge cuts back from them, from the arms dealers. Um, yeah, it's a mess. And Jim mentioned it, but we, we should talk about it in more detail, the bioweapon thing. Yeah. The first let me thing, mention this real, yeah, real quick the, because... This is so important, and a lot yeah. of people might think it's a conspiracy theory, but I want to nah. read from the Russian foreign minister, Lavrov. He says, we have info that the Pentagon is concerned about the possibility of losing control over chemical and biological facilities in Ukraine. So this is a part of the actual diplomatic conversation happening right now. This is not yeah. some made-up conspiracy theory. Yeah, well, and you don't, you don't even have to like take the Russians' word for it. All you have to do is go to an American embassy site from, say, a week ago, and you'll find a huge cache of documents detailing all of the bioweapons research labs in Ukraine and who sponsored them, whether it was the Pentagon or the DOD or the CIA. It was all there. Um, somebody, Somebody discovered this and full marks to her. She then printed out the list on Twitter. So I went and grabbed it. So I have this directory full of PDFs now of all the details of bioweapon research, which includes research into things like Ebola, making it more virulent and, um, you know, even worse than it is already, which is pretty horrible, seeing as it has a 50 to 90% fatality rate. Um, now, one of my sources claims that the, one of the Nazi battalion actually tried a bioweapon attack of Ebola against Russia a couple of months ago. And they were caught and they were stopped. You know, if that's true, then the Russians are already showing incredible restraint in not just yeah. raising country to the ground. But right. they're not. They're not because they're in it for the long game. And they know that what they need to do is denazify Ukraine, literally purge it of Nazis. They're probably going to split it into east and west. So east east will be Ukraine. It'll be Russian. It'll be part, you know, it'll be cool. And the west can be the Ukrainian speakers and it will be neutral. And, you know, the Russians won't care. See, this is not really a Ukraine-Russia thing. This is a European security theater thing. It's not a question of, you know, it's not a question of like which country is going to get sponsored by the deep state next. It's. No, we need to divide up the responsibilities for national security in Europe. 
And so far, nature has been acting like the bully boy and needs to get its wings clipped. <sighs> yeah, yeah. It, it's going to be a the, struggle. Uh, there's a piece of information that I think is very important here. It's not it's not hard, but I think it it lends to a discussion uh, about the plan and and what's really going on in Ukraine. One of the criteria that Putin put forward for peace talks was that Zelensky stay on as president. Now, at face value, one is just going to simply say, "Huh." I don't get it. What? Why on earth would, would he want Zelensky to be a part of the peace talks? My opinion, and, and I'm, I'm, this is shared by quite a few people, is that they've turned Zelensky. And they Zelensky is actually part. He's a white hat in this operation. And he's working with Putin on the inside. And to me, that explains some of the rhetoric coming out of his mouth in terms of you know, wanting to pull NATO in. It's my belief, and again, this is uh, coming from other sources, is that right now, uh, NATO, this is a hot potato for NATO, and they they don't want to get involved. The likelihood that they would step up and say, oh yeah, no problem, we want Ukraine as part of NATO, not going to happen. That would totally upset the narrative that the West is trying to pursue. So, all of these things tell me that there absolutely is a plan. And again, this is why they're not blowing cities up, because they don't need to. That's not the plan. And so, yeah, let the West go cuckoo with their fake stories, because they can be undone in a heartbeat. And that's exactly what they're doing. So this is just good military strategy and theater. And um, it seems to be working perfectly if, in fact, that is the plan, which I believe it is. Could be. It's hard to say because the deep state's really heavily investing in him as a um, hero figure right now. Yep. Um, I even saw Lara Trump go on Fox News and say that, I mean, he, he's such an amazing leader and everything. And uh, so it's interesting to see the left and the right both go all in on him and on Ukraine. Um, yep. When uh, I don't, I don't know that to me. Just trying to stay objective here. It's weird <laughs> to me that Zelensky is yeah. not publicly talking about any negotiating points. You know, in fact, he's being really. I find it very arrogant to say. Well, now that you've already invaded and taken over half my country, well, now I want to be part of the EU and, and NATO. Why not? Like, how about a little give and take? Right. Uh, you know, uh, so so it's, that's it, it is confusing to try to figure out uh, who's a white hat and who, who's a black hat here. But let's talk about the idea that this is escalating as far as the bifurcation of the world order. Um talking about energy, talking about economics, talking about the, the financial system. You know, there's the Western SWIFT-based, the American dollar reserve asset controlled system. And now Russia's basically said, fine, go ahead, do it. You know, like we, we've got a plan in place and, and China's on our side. And so you got a Russian-Chinese economic alliance. What could this mean for China's aspirations, if they are willing to 
go all in on this too, uh, to abandon the dollar. Uh, maybe those two are going to start backing their currencies by gold or something. Uh, is China going to try to grab Taiwan? Who's going to do anything about it anymore? Uh, you know, what are your thoughts, Paul? Yeah, the, I found it funny when uh, Russia was kicked out of SWIFT that there were two exceptions. Uh, America can still pay for oil via SWIFT, Russian oil, and <laughs> Germany can still pay for gas because Russia has more gas than God, basically. Um, yeah, Russia supplies most of Europe with natural gas, which is so it's not really a good idea to stop uh, being able to pay for you know your basic heating supplies in winter. Um, so yeah, that, I think that just shows the hypocrisy of that. Russia, Russia and China have had a, a close economic relationship for a while. Um, Ukraine too. I mean, Ukraine is Russia's biggest trading partner. Um, so yeah, they, they have no need to destroy one of their states that you know they look after. Anyway, that's uh, slightly off topic. I think yes, the world is going to bifurcate. I think the Western money system is doomed because it's based on fiat currency, and all fiat currencies eventually find very strong support at zero. Um, no exceptions in history. No exceptions. Um, you know, the West financial system is teetering on the brink. It's been hyperinflating for quite a while now. The only reason um, we haven't seen the effects of that is because the velocity of the money is so low. Once the velocity starts kicking in, then we'll suddenly see hyperinflation. But you can, we have seen it in certain areas of the market. Um, ridiculous. I know food prices are really bad um, in a lot of parts of the world, and that, along with supply chain problems and fertilizer shortages we're heading for some troubled times if we're not careful russia could well go back to gold-backed currencies and if so then they'll be absolutely fine they will have a stable currency that is not based on you know private bankers creating it out of thin air and lending it to them at interest which is how you know the normal reserve bank system works um if china does the same thing they'll be fine too the, the the knock-on effect is, of course, if the the petrodollar, well, the the US uh, the US is the dollar state as, as a reserve, you know, the petrodollar system. If that gets destroyed, then we're really in for some fun and games. I, I think I agree with your overall thesis there, Sean. That Russia and you know Russia and China, this division in the world. I remember when the BRICS um, alliance was announced: uh, Brazil, Russia, India, South Africa, China. Um, that was really interesting. I, I thought it was, I, I think it still has a lot of potential. You know, you have these nations aligned with a couple of superpowers and they're not the traditional, you know, Western alliances where, you know, the US bullies you if you if you get out of line. I think, I think the world will diverge more on that in the future, but we'll have, you know, we'll, we'll, have, we'll have Russia as a sensible you know, overseer. And China, yeah, China's crazy. I think they do want to invade, I think they do want to invade Taiwan. Um, economically, they're going on with Russia for now. I, I believe the one of my reliable sources says that in his inimitable way, he says the sword is going to pass from Ukraine to Syria to Iran to Taiwan. So that's that's the order of sort of geopolitical cataclysms that I'm expecting. But who knows? We'll we'll see.
it could escalate so fast uh, mm. if you've got. Um, well, by the way, Japan has been in on this whole thing of excluding Russia from the financial system. So uh, they're not. A, Russia had all kinds of foreign reserves, including Japanese yen, and now they can't. The, all those assets have been frozen. So yeah, there that there's that old order which included Japan, uh, and, and now look what we could have with North Korea and uh, North Korea. Uh, China versus Japan, South Korea, you know, and, and that can get mm. so out of hand so fast. And, and the question is, is the U.S. military going to do what it's doing in Ukraine, which is nothing, if that happens? And uh, and what will be the results if they do get involved? That could be really messy and expensive and cause the whole downfall of the whole American empire. So, um, Jim, any thoughts? Well. I mean, you know, we're looking at, to me, again, this is the, the really the beginning of the full court press against the deep state. And we're seeing it play out heavily in Ukraine. But I, I can't avoid speculating on what does this mean for other uh, states that could easily play the same kind of role? And Taiwan is absolutely one of them. And so now, you know, the whole utilization of time of Taiwan as a deep state facility asset and close location to China is now going to be considered, um, you know, um, uh, we can they can now go after it with a eviscerated U.S. who can't do anything and they can blather and, and scream and cry all they want but they're not going to be able to militarily do anything. And so, um, but I, I don't uh, necessarily think it's going to go down that road. I'm curious about it. I'm curious about any stronghold the deep state thinks they have on this planet. And it's, and it's under attack. And so that heightens. It's those everything. black sites like Iran, Venezuela, those failed states it's usually places where the people are in dire poverty, like Venezuela and Ukraine, for example, uh, yep. where these parasitic, you know, autocrats just rule over them with an iron fist. Yep. Uh, those are the deep state places. I mean, that, so Taiwan doesn't necessarily match that because it's a, quite a prosperous place. Uh, but I, I don't know the truth about, about Taiwan. Well, look at, look at uh, North Korea. Okay, North Korea is a well, that's a black site. site. Yeah, <laughs> right. Okay, so look how close that is to China. Is that really any? Is Taiwan really any different than North Korea? Only in perception by the general public, the Gen Pops, who don't understand geopolitics. But you know, it's like all this stuff is is you know black box black site stuff that now is coming out from undercover. Now it's it's can be seen and can be understood in the greater geopolitical events that are going on right now. So I think it's like, hold on to your hats. Things are really going to start opening up and we're going to start to see things appear that were always there, but are now going to be exposed in ways that they can't unhide it. Let's talk real quick about strategic resources because Ukraine uh, makes a, lo a lot of the wheat, you know, just what we need yes. to eat. 
for Europe and the world. Uh, they also have some other strategic resources like titanium. Uh, they have the biggest nuclear reactor in Europe. Uh, they've got uh, neon gas. A and Russia produces uh, a lot of the world's, and, the, and I think 40% of the United States fertilizer, uh, yeah, not to mention that they, they enrich 30% of the uranium for the United States. Um, so, so when you put Kazakhstan and Russia together, uh, it, they control a lot of the world's uranium supply. Uh, mm -hmm. And then Taiwan controls the world's computer chip supply. So this is, this is a huge resource that people don't realize if, if you take that, if you take Taiwan out of the equation, uh, the sh chip shortage that we already have means that we can't run the modern world the way we have been. Um, that could that could stop modern production of every, everything runs on computer chips now everything right. cars mm -hmm. um, so th that's huge Paul any any comments on that I, I think that's one of the reasons why President Trump was so insistent on returning manufacturing to the United States is he saw this future coming where you know, because of geopolitical instability, particularly in the South China Sea area, you know, North Korea, South Korea, China, Taiwan, Japan, we could have crippling supply chain shortages. And, I, and we saw this, we saw this for real, just on a, a smaller scale with the pandemic, where, um, you know, suddenly because of chip shortages, European car manufacturing just dried up within a matter of weeks. Um, the Baltic Dry Index, which is a, a measure of, shipping uh, efficiency and, and pricing around the world to measure the flow of goods, roughly speaking, just yeah, reached unprecedented levels. So yeah, there's, there's very much, uh, uh, we're gonna be finding out exactly where all our stuff comes from. Um, and I, don't, I, I think that if China wants to take Taiwan, they've got another thing coming. I mean, China, Taiwan is nuclear armed. Uh, and it has a fleet oh, yeah. of its own its own submarines. And if she wants to invade, then he's going to find a couple of cruise missiles aimed at the dam, and that will go. And then, you know, there'll be three or four more aimed right up his backside. So, yeah, that will be hairy if, if China really oh, does yeah. try to invade Taiwan. Taiwan will not go quietly. But, yeah, yeah you're absolutely right. They make a, a, an inordinate amount of the world's chips and advanced chips, too. You know, they're not just dumb suppliers. They're, like, really sort of advanced, you know, advanced companies like NVIDIA, which power all the GPUs and the Bitcoin miners of the world and the gaming graphics cards, all that, all that kind of advanced stuff. That's all Taiwanese. All computers, all cell yeah. phones, all yeah. manufacturing facilities, <laughs> all cars. It, I mean, we, we don't even realize how dependent mm. we are on this stuff. This is intellectual property. It, it's the people there who have mm. the knowledge. It's, it's these machines that take years to make yeah. uh, that you, you take them out. It, it would take years to recover. Um, but Mike Pompeo recently visiting Taiwan, saying publicly the United States should recognize Taiwan. And Mike Pompeo is wearing a boot. He's, he's joined the boot club. So did you guys know about that? Any, any I did comments not on that? know about his boot, but I tell you what, he changed. He's not the same human being because he, either he's got cancer and he's, he's getting ready to go into the hospital. I've never seen anybody lose weight and body shape that quickly. 
It was impressive. I think his boot, he says, was an old foot injury. Um, judging from his track record, which is like really, really, really good, I think I'll give him that. I, I mean, the fact that he's being monitored as he walks around Taiwan is 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 not a sign that he'd suddenly move to the deep state. I think that people are people are you know un, being silly if they want to put him in the same category as as Hillary or or John McNoname. You know, I think that's. I think it's just you know it's there's an innocent explanation for it. Or of course it could be he's jerking around some various people who think he might have turned. And so <laughs> yeah, it, it's an elaborate game of double bluff. Hey, moves and counter moves. We always, <laughs> okay, we always we'll find out later. But this is a great game, so nothing could yeah. be taken at face value. Could be. Uh, yeah, it's hard to tell. He he was in the CIA, and they say once CIA, always CIA. Um, so today I'm interviewing Patel Patriots. He recently wrote Devolution Part 18, which is about Putin, uh, you know, and about Putin's history going against the globalists and, mm. and how it seems like Trump and Putin have a common enemy with these globalists. Uh, and I do think that our role as these citizen journalists is to expose and talk about these bio labs and things that the mainstream media won't cover because Fox news is just beating the war drums. They are right there with McCarthy and Lindsey Graham and, and just the, the rhinos. Uh, Sean Hannity is right there. Same talking points as all of the others. They uh, are so deep state. So if we don't talk about this stuff, then uh, everyone will join the pros, I stand with Ukraine, uh, you know, non-player characters. Uh, so any, any thoughts from you guys uh, or comments about more about the biolabs, more about, um, yeah, devolution, perhaps, maybe if you've read Patel's work uh, on Ukraine and Putin, any thoughts on that? Well, I just want to bring up with, the, uh, with this focus now by Patel on Putin, uh, and the fact that, you know, we always talk about this as not about uh, left, right, you know, whatever. This is good evil. This is a spiritual war. And I want to point out that um, Putin is a devout Russian Orthodox Christian. And that is a huge part of his life. And that alone, to me, speaks volumes of that man's intention unless he's completely BSing everybody on that front. And I'm quite sure he's not because this has been true all his life. So um, I think there's something to that. I think it's something that um, one can hang your hat on uh, to a degree uh, because those of us, and I know the three of us uh, don't have any issues around the fact that this is a spiritual wall war and we come at this with a heavy dose of our own spirituality as we try to discern what's really going on so a lot of these things i think are are character issues and are important when looking at the whole picture yeah and i think core to putin's identity is just being a nationalist being a russian caring about the russian state the russian people the russian culture and identity and that's what we need from every leader from every country right now is for them to be into sovereignty and not into globalism. This is what it's really all about. 
And uh, so it does seem like Putin has maybe over the years kind of toyed with the globalists a little bit, make them think that he's going to go along with their game, but then they end up deleting him from the World Economic Forum mm-hmm. website and, and decide, <laughs> no, maybe he's 100% not with us. Uh, your thoughts, Paul? Well, remember when Putin took over, which I think was 99, he was a very good man. I totally agree with Jim there. Putin has always been a very good man who inherited some very, very bad systems from his predecessors, um, the 90s particularly. You know, there were... Uh, and there were a couple of factions from the West who were basically, what, supporting the terrorists in the Caucasus, um, basically a sovereign attack on Russia. Because you see, it was starting back then already in the 90s, the undermining of Russia. But Putin is Putin has always had fanatical support and genuine support. This is not like a Guinea-Bissau or, you know, poll in Iraq where, you know, 99% of the population voted for him because if they don't get a bullet in the back of the head. This is genuine support from ordinary Russian people who know that he's telling the truth and that he is, no, he will not allow willy-nilly immigration from North Africa. No, LGBTQ is not allowed in Russia. No, Soros is banned from Russia. No, sorry, but we're not, you know, Twitter may not post lesbian porn. Um, and as a result, because of his um, basic inflexibility to how the globalists undermine any Western nation, Russia has maintained its culture and its dignity, even though it's been looted pretty much over the years by the West. And it's now surrounded by, you know, a, an adversary which swore in the 90s that it wouldn't move one inch eastward. Russia will survive. Russia will be strong. Yeah. Even they've even become they face, quite resilient. Uh, because this is not resilient. the first round of sanctions against Russia. Yeah. I remember when they took Crimea, uh, you know, mm. however you want to phrase that. Well, the Crimeans they, basically when, decided that they wanted right. to be Russian. Yeah, right. When when Crimea was annexed, uh, there was, you know, harsh economic consequences for that, and they had to become quite uh, economically resilient as a result of that. And the Russian people had to figure out, you know, how to deal with the falling currency and how to deal with things domestically instead of internationally and so mm-hmm. forth. And so the Russian people have been hardened and they've been economically, uh, you know, uh, forced to become economically resilient over the years so that they're ready for this. And not to mention the fact that uh, natural resource prices are skyrocketing right now, which is very good for Russia. So even though their mm. their currency, the ruble, has tanked, their their profits with natural gas and and oil and so forth has has been going through the roof. So uh, yeah, they're they're going to be okay. And uh, you know, it's a very very interesting strategy with the natural resources for sure. Because I mentioned uranium. Uh, Russia and Kazakhstan, you know, they basically control the world's uranium supply and China just is building like 50 new reactors. And so between China, Kazakhstan and Russia, they're, they've got their own energy plan for the next couple of decades that don't even involve the West necessarily. Uh, so thank you guys for coming on. I'll give you both uh, 30 seconds to maybe give some summarizing comments as we move forward into this uh, great awakening. 
Uh, go ahead, Jim, you can go first. Well, these are big times right now. And I think the, the most fundamental thing that I would want to say to people is that you've got to be discerning. If, if never before, you've got to do it now. And because you're going to be seeing things that are all over the map. And so, you know, try not to take too much action right away on new information. Take it in. Think about it. Try to corroborate it as best you can. Get your research skills built up. Uh, but um, but do prepare yourself to um, see things get more um, active and more confusing in the near future. Your thoughts? Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. The fog of war, nothing, nothing much can be trusted. Um, I think this is going to be a long struggle. I think the Ukraine won't be a particularly long struggle. Kiev is a bit of a mess because, yeah, there are a lot of different factions there, and I think Russia is going to be ultra-cautious, but they're certainly not going to move into Kiev and just take it over with the whole street fighting thing. It's not going to be like that. I think we're going to see a very sensible, cautious approach, and we will see the neutralizing of West Ukraine and the denazification of East Ukraine, and Russia is going to sort out Europe, well, sort out its own um, patch of Europe because it has no desire to, there's no need or desire to become, you know, form the next Soviet Union. That's just nonsense. That's Western propaganda. I can't believe I'm saying this, but this has happened three times in my life now. We had Gulf, well, Gulf that I remember, Gulf War I um, in 1991, then uh, Gulf War II, um, which was 2002, 2003. And now, yeah, these are the three major sort of propaganda assaults, um, either for or against war that I've seen from the Western media. And yeah, sorry, guys, I learned my lesson from the last two occasions. Yeah. You're not going to fool me again this time. Uh, I remember quite well, uh, you know, the Iraqi war and the way that they framed it on Fox News and all these other CNN and so forth is with like, like it's so exciting and all the colors are going across the screen and the explosions and, and to act like it's entertainment, like, like when there were a million Iraqis that died, like, uh, you know, this is, this is a machine, this is a war machine. And uh, yeah, we can't fall for this over and over again. People are waking up to it uh, because citizen journalists like us are, are discussing it. So thank you for coming together with me on Friday for a special Sean Morgan report. Uh, we're going to put this out. Hopefully we'll continue the conversation about cataclysm and magnetic pole shift in the future as well. Stay tuned for that. God bless all you patriots. Bye-bye.